Welcome to the 205 Vibe Podcast. I'm your host, Earl Dotson Jr. Today's episode will be a conversation with CEO of the Chamber of Commerce, Einer Forsman, and Superintendent of Rockford Public Schools, Dr. Aaron Jarrett, from his Educational Outlook Luncheon. Today, the superintendent will be talking topics about what's happening in the Rockford Public Schools and an overview of some of the highlights of some of the accomplishments in the past year. Hope you enjoy. Thank you. Welcome to the Education Outlook for 2020. You're going to notice a little different format uh, today than what we've had in the past. We think that's a good thing. That's ought to be a good event for us to uh, have some fun and talk with Dr. Jarrett about a lot of things uh, relating with public schools as well as other potential community linkages. And uh, hopefully you can uh, uh, get a lot out of the program and, and enjoy it. What we're going to do is uh, you know, pose some questions to Dr. Jarrett, get his thoughts on a number of topics. Uh, and then we're um, also going to introduce some slides to also talk about or make some points about the progress of, of Rockford Public Schools. And Dr. Jarrett, welcome. Einer, thanks for having me. I really appreciate the Chamber extending this uh, opportunity on an annual basis. Love to have the chance to talk to you, the Chamber, and the larger community about our efforts to improve public education in our community. And also want to give a real debt of gratitude to my Board of Education. Uh, I'm thankful that they have given me the opportunity to serve in this role and appreciative for all they do on a voluntary basis to help public education in our community. Great. Well, thank you. And, and as we've talked today about our plan is we want to address topics that are of importance to the business community and that's going to be where our focus is, but certainly feel free to add or, or on to anything else you'd like to share that you think is of, of good relevance to our community members. Thanks so much, Heiner. So let's start with just the bigger vision here, 30,000 foot perspective on things. And we're gonna look back from a year ago to today, pre-COVID, post-COVID, and let's, let's talk about the world through your eyes with, rock, with public schools. Well, Einer, it has been a wild couple of years for everybody, but specifically in the Rockford Public Schools, we had uh, the unique privilege of starting, with, starting last school year with a tech crisis and a ransomware attack and then had a month or two pause and then dove right into a pandemic, uh, which we're all dealing with together. And um, one of the things I like to joke and say uh, is that at least we got that in the right order. Because had the order been flipped and had we, uh, like many districts in our country are dealing with right now, dealt with some kind of a cyber attack and not been as prepared as we are now because of the lessons we've learned from that, um, things could have been even worse. And, and so what we're proud of as citizens of the Rockford community and our region has really come together to try to still provide high quality educational experiences for our students. And that's been our faculty, our staff, our board, our community. So many people have pitched in to make sure that our students have the best possible experience under very, very difficult times. Yeah, it's, you know, I think a lot of us out there say this a lot that it's been so long ago almost in a year how much time has passed i forgot about the tech crisis you had i mean i totally that that and that was a serious issue a very serious issue very but serious. It, it's just it's in my distant memory now from yes. all the other things that uh, everyone's been dealing with including you at the district so from the covid standpoint you know one of the things i found fascinating in the times i've heard you address other people or you and i sit on the alignment rockford board together and Absolutely. we've and we've uh, understood what you've done there as well but Let's talk about the evolution of the, of the res initial response to COVID and how you deliver education to the students and as you went through that and then where you came out this year with, with your plan. 
Absolutely, Einer. You know, last spring was really about emergency remote learning is what we ended up referring to it kind of after the fact. You know, these phases become a little bit more clear. But it was really, last year was about having no real preparation for taking a 29,000 student district and going 100% remote. And so as a result, I think we had some very uneven outcomes to say, you know, to put it mildly. Um, I, I don't think our faculty, staff, infrastructure, uh, students, families, I don't think our community was as prepared as we needed it to be. And I think that was true across the country largely. What we then did is immediately started planning to make a transition from an emergency remote learning environment where we were doing the best we could to connect with students and to make sure, and we spent all summer and all pretty much all of the spring last year as well deciding all right what do we need to do this well and one of the things we were very clear about as a community is we wanted to make sure parents and the community had a choice so if we had the ability to offer remote learning as well as in-person options for family or blended models we wanted to do that and then we worked backwards from that and in working backwards from that we really learned that number one we needed to make sure all of our children had internet access this is something that many families are able to take for granted. It's kind of like a utility, like turning the water on. And the reality is we have had thousands of families that needed support with technology devices, but also that tech connection. So we had some great support from Comcast and from some other partners that has allowed us to make sure all of our students, whether they're remote or in person, has a device, a Chromebook or an iPad in most cases, and that they have a reliable internet connection. And so the good news that's come out of this is moving forward, that is gonna become a much, much more of a table stakes kind of environment for our students and our families. And that will allow us to do some really adaptive and positive things moving forward. Great. Yeah, and I know that um, when we were preparing for this today, I'd asked you about whether school buses were still out there delivering internet uh, signals to yeah. neighborhoods didn't have it. Then you explained that you've got a wonderful partnership going yes, on. That's absolutely. made that much better. So that's fantastic. Um, I think you've covered a little bit, but I want to go back to on just in terms of what you've seen from your perspective on how, how students and parents and faculty have been impacted by, yeah. you know, this transition. You know, I think we're all really optimistic about what we can achieve and do for students, and that's where our focus is on students. But I think we're all pretty exhausted. I think parents are helping with homework and support at home more than they ever have, no matter what model their students are in. I think students are really struggling with the amount of isolation and screen time. I think teachers are having to learn. In some cases, I've heard teachers talk about the challenge of, hey, I feel like a first year teacher again, and I've been doing this for 20 years, wow. because some of the old tried and true things that have worked for decades uh, don't always apply in a blended or in an in-person or a virtual environment. And, and so what, what has been really powerful for me to see is with all of the challenges that provides, we have really seen a strong spirit in our community to make sure that we're all trying to do whatever it takes to get better outcomes for students. And we are not happy with where we are. Uh, you know, we look at attendance and attendance is not where we want it to be. We look at enrollment. We've lost, we have about a thousand less students than we normally have. Um, and I don't think it's because everybody just left the community. It's just been really hard to reconnect uh, with family. So attendance, enrollment, we've, we, we are monitoring on a daily basis how we're doing with our failure rate at the secondary level to make sure students are being successful. And we're even monitoring how much time students are spending on their devices to make sure they're engaged. Sure. What kind of things have you done to try to 
identify those thousand or so students that yeah. are missing, basically. Or, you, absolutely. You know, what's one of the tried and true trends in public education is your best attendance month is usually August and then it gets a little bit worse in September and it kind of plateaus and kind of, but usually your first three months are your best three months. What I'm really proud of in the Rockford Public Schools, while we have a significant decline in where our attendance is this year, what has been really encouraging to me is we have attendance specialists, behavior intervention specialists, teachers, counselors, principals, people all across our district, and a number of community partners as well that are helping with this. And what we've seen is our attendance is actually going up each month. So we are really proud to say that attendance rates have actually improved about 3% since September. And that's because there's a lot of people saying, hey, we know that you're having a hard time connecting with us. We know that you feel disconnected, but people are knocking on doors safely course, using uh, proper social distancing, lots of text, phone calls, whatever way we can do it. There's been kind of a whatever it takes mentality to reconnect with students that we've lost touch with. And we're not where we want to be yet, but we, we think we have made some real progress in our attendance rate. Uh, even, those, even though those increase are relatively modest, two or three percentage point increase since the beginning of the year, it still shows that it's working. Well, even though it's mo modest, it's an interesting phenomenon that it's shifted upward as opposed to the traditional decline that you talked about a that's little right. earlier. So that's that's very interesting. Okay, shifting gears just a little bit. So normally when we host you for this event, it's in September, right after the school year has begun. And um, this year we had agreed to change it to November because that's the time when the state reports are coming out and we can have a discussion about school performance and how we stack up in the state. And obviously some things have changed there. Do yes. you want to talk about that a little bit? Absolutely. You know, we, we've for years been talking about trying to make incremental progress on key academic metrics like our graduation rate, our freshman on track rate, our SAT scores, our IER scores, which is the state test. And unfortunately, there are a couple factors that are really working against us right now. Uh, when you look at state data, and particularly state high accountability tests, we didn't give any of those because those typically happen in the spring last year. So we do have a kind of a gap in the data. This year we will likely give those tests again, but I think we can all agree that from last spring to this year will probably not be an ideal year over year, apples to apples kind of comparison. So we are gonna be happy to give that. I think that's gonna allow us to really measure if there has been significant learning loss. And then we can roll up our sleeves in the summer the following school year and extend the day, extend the year, extend the week, do whatever it takes to address any of the learning loss issues that come up. Because I think what we're gonna see with this pandemic, Einer, unfortunately, is that the students who need school the most are our students that are gonna be the most impacted by this. So I think we're gonna have some low-income students, some students that are coming from uh, groups that have been historically challenged uh, with their outcomes in our public school system and across the country, are some of the students that have felt the most disconnected during this time frame. So not only are we gonna have the work to do to get all students better results, but there's gonna be the effort to deal with the students who are most negatively impacted by this pandemic. Yeah, you know, and that's been part of my initial fear back when um, first the schools are responding to what was right in front of them with COVID and then the opportunity to plan and address education differently in a many different varieties of ways is that we're all aware we've got families, not just students, who are challenged. Right. and have limited access to, to things. It may even have some tech issues as well, either, either experience-wise or just technology-wise, and that uh, so important that we don't leave people behind in this process. Absolutely. You know, there's uh, an old 
psychologist uh, that has been popularized a little bit over the years named Abraham Maslow, and he talks about Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And for those of us that struggled through a Psych 101 class, uh, that may be a familiar name. <laughs> and there's an educator named, uh, named Harold Bloom, uh, and there's this concept called Bloom's Taxonomy. And what a lot of educators have said is, in order to get those better educational outcomes that, uh, that Bloom talks about, where you're trying to get to really higher order thinking, we have to make sure those Abraham Maslow, those low level things like security, food and shelter are met for our family. So what we found, particularly during the spring and well into the fall here, is that meeting the needs of our students on a basic level has been as important as meeting the needs of our students academically. And both of those things have to work together. If a student is hungry because they are disconnected from our, our food service programming, if they are feeling isolated because of a almost claustrophobic family situation or a challenging family situation and they don't have access to some of the social emotional supports, we've had to be very, very intentional about trying to meet the needs of the whole child and truly put Maslow before Bloom in our work. Yeah, well, first of all, thanks for bringing back my college days. Maslow, I'm <laughs> making me work my mind a little bit there, Aaron, so thanks for that. Yeah, actually, you know, I, I didn't have this in my line of question, but it brought up something we talked about earlier is something that didn't occur to me is so many students receive meals in the schools, and sometimes it's a critical component of their day. Yeah. And meals are still going to the students, correct? Absolutely. In fact, not only are we delivering those meals in person, but we are still delivering those meals uh, to sites throughout the community. And we've had a number of community partners from day one that have stepped up and helped out from the spring through the summer. We had a very robust program, and then obviously during the school year. Uh, but it, the reality is, it a pandemic creates barriers for getting those social emotional as well as those basic human needs being met. And so we've uh, really appreciated all of the, the community kind of helping us with some of those issues. And, and just back quickly to the IAR that you're going to be doing coming up. Um, I'm imagining that's going to end up being the foundational piece since there's really little to compare to. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and I think what we're going to do is we're going to have the pre-pandemic baseline. We'll kind of okay. go back to and look at that trend data, you know, going back to the 20, you know, the 2019 testing data. And then we'll also have a new baseline that we'll establish this spring. And I think we're going to be able to both measure any of the negative impact in terms of learning loss from the pandemic, but we also obviously want to continue to show improvement as a district. So we've talked about a district school by school scorecard. That work is gonna continue. Um, we're not obviously running a high accountability environment right now, but as soon as we can, we are going to move back to making sure we're very transparent with the community about how every school in our district is performing, how our district is performing, and really measuring the improvement year over year at the school level as well as the district level has to be part of any work we do because at the end of the day, we are a $450 million organization that serves 29,000 students. We're a key component to attracting and retaining businesses right. and homeowners in this community, and we have to be accountable for improvement. Yeah, I think you know back when about 2009, the Chamber Board really wanted to emphasize public education and see some success there. And we went through an extensive survey, uh, probably one of the best surveys we've ever done uh, on all different topics related to, to public schools and uh, perception and reality and so on. And one of the things that came from that was our desire to have a, our own metric report card on the performance of the schools. And we've never gotten to that because of so many different changes in, in testing or reporting from No Child Left Behind to, I can't remember the names of the other ones, but we kept waiting for one to adapt to, and right. I just threw up our hands. And we, it, yeah. just, it changes before we can get the whole thing laid out again. That was a challenge for us. Absolutely. Um, 
When you spoke last year, I, one of the things you, you shared that was really important for the business community here is not only, you know, you just mentioned the $450 million budget, um, but about some of the goals of the district that relate to school finances and uh, um, talking about ways to get um, the, the tax rate down. That's right. And I wanted to kind of get an update for the audience as to what's happening in that regard. Absolutely. You know, when we... When I had the opportunity to join this district in 2011 as an assistant superintendent, um, I've been able to work with a, a management team and a board that really sees a clear relationship between factors like the tax rate and what that does to attract and retain homeowners and business. And so what we experienced post-2008 when we had a nearly $3 billion equalized assessed value of our property and businesses in this Rockford Public School footprint. By 2012, that had dropped to less than $2 billion. We had an, about a 33% decline in values. Now, what many failed communities have done in situations like that is they continue to tax their residents at the same or higher rates and aggressively seek new revenue. Because when you have tough times like that, you very, very often need the money to provide the services. What we've been able to do with a number of community partners, including uh, the city, including the park district, uh, a number of different taxing bodies, for eight years now, we dropped our levy. We were collecting $170 million from local taxpayers and dropped that down to $155 million and have held that for eight consecutive years. We've had some real success with working with the state of Illinois to have a more equitable funding model that has allowed us to sustain that. We also have tried to do some belt tightening and making sure that we're investing our money wisely. What the result of that is, we at one point had a $7.93 tax rate just for the school district. And in the last six years, we've seen that go down every year because we've held the rate, we've held the dollar amount flat. Our rate we project is now going to drop to $6.55 next year. Did so we, that's a. Did we put that there? It is. Yeah. Okay. So, so you can see the numbers there. Um, we, we were at 689 last year, 793 at its peak. So we've really seen almost a dollar and 50 cent rate reduction from the school district alone. That's been compounded by our partnership with the city, the park district, and other taxing bodies that have continued to hold the line. And now we've seen the, the average citizen who lives in the city of Rockford, that tax rate has gone down significantly and property values have now gone up 20%. So that is eight years of sustaining a strategy and we're really bearing the fruit from that. We had an over 6% year-over-year property value increase last year. In my opinion, that doesn't happen without our board's leadership on this topic because if you don't, if you keep raising those rates, the values just don't have room to grow. Right. Now, at some point, we are going to need to take additional revenues. This can't go on. This is not sustainable forever. We have inflationary costs. But I really applaud our board for a sustained strategy that has really helped be a community-wide strategy, frankly. And I think taxpayers are now seeing more value in their property or their business as opposed to a higher rate. Yeah, I, think, I agree that's very commendable to do so. Um, having worked in government in the past, there are times when you see a growth in, in the EAV and governmental entities tend to want to ride that EAV rather than still keep, keep their costs under control and, and still drive down the rate for the community. So I, I think that, uh, and the district obviously is, is an important taxing body here, so that's, that's very commendable. Yeah, we're about 51% of the tax bill, which is actually a lower percentage than many other communities. Yeah. And, uh, but we want to do our part as the largest part of that tax bill, which taxpayers are very comfortable reminding me of when I run yeah. into them. <laughs> and, and it's important to me and to our board that we are very, very 
cautious with that tax rate and do everything we can to keep it as low as possible and make sure it's trending in the right direction because we think it really stimulates people uh, to invest in our community and ultimately it helps residential property values to grow and that's so important. Well, you mentioned this has been an effort that's been going on for eight years and I don't remember exactly what the, what the tax rate was at its peak for the public schools, but probably somewhere in the $11 range or maybe a little higher. We had hit 793 at our peak and okay. I, there may have been times at other that, that may be way back pre, in the way back in, care but in, I can tell you that in uh, within the last 15 years we hit a peak of 793 okay. and to go back down to 655 is a really nice step in the right direction. I think the total rate needs to get back down to that 10 11 dollar range and I think we're getting closer and closer to that. Well, that may be my mistake too. Maybe I'm quoting the total rate from what I recall rather yeah. than uh, just the school district rate. Um, okay, so we've talked about some special programs too. Workforce is obviously very important to our members as well as finding really good talent and having developable talent in the area. And I think many of us feel there's, there's a lot of available workforce here, but yeah. not at the skill set yeah. or job readiness that uh, um, we'd like to see. Can you talk a little bit about the various programs that, that you're working on and with other partners as well? Absolutely. You know, one of the, there, there are really two major programs that I want to talk to you about today. One is really hot off the press is uh, credit the Northern Illinois University, the city of Rockford, and specifically Mayor McNamara for all the, the great work that went on to have a, a true Rockford promise. But before I dive into that, the sustained work has been around uh, a decade now of the process of transforming our high schools to do a better job of connecting the college career readiness of our students as well as the workforce demand that exists. And you know, you mentioned that chamber survey, Einer, and that was so helpful. And I, and I hope we can go back to that again because I'd like to see if we're making some progress. But what we saw, heard loud and clear from chamber members is not only do they want talent, but they want to see that talent, that homegrown talent, better connected to the needs right. of the workforce, to have that be nimble and to be flexible. So what our high school redesign has done, we organized our schools into a high school academies uh, that are based on students' career interests. And each one of our high schools now has about 13 different career pathways within those, within those academies. So what a student basically does is their sophomore, junior, and senior year, they take a three-course three, three sequence of, of classes that culminate with college credit or a career certification. Um, one of our highest profile examples is one that is very self-serving to the district. We have a great partnership with Rockford University, and we have uh, the Rockford University Teaching Pathway, where students get credits to become a teacher, go to Rockford University for four years, get an almost complete scholarship to go to Rockford University, get a master's degree paid for, and come back in our future workforce. Um, and we've seen that happen more and more in other areas. The city has a great partnership uh, for uh, police and fire recruitment. So as we've grown that model, it's worked out well. And one of the things I really want to highlight is how great our business community has been. Of those pathways, we have offered the business community an opportunity to sponsor those pathways. So if you walk into any one of our high schools now, you will see signage showing that of those 13 pathways, uh, that makes about 50 opportunities altogether to sponsor because we can sponsor them in different schools. And we've had 13 businesses now that have sponsored those. And some businesses have sponsored them in all four high schools or all five, including Roosevelt. And so what we're seeing over and over again is this investment is, is causing really deep partnerships. We're seeing uh, a partner that is working with our students, their freshman year, their sophomore year, their junior year, and their senior year to get guaranteed workforce readiness experiences, and then they're coming out with a deep partnership. And, so, and, and here's why this is important. 
Our businesses don't have to stay in Rockford, Illinois, or in our region, and our students don't, don't have to come back here. They may be here now because that's where their parents live, but they don't have to come back here. What we're ultimately trying to accomplish with these high school pathways and the academy model in general is to create such a tight partnership that businesses see this as a competitive advantage to be here and they don't want to leave, and that our students want to come home because there's such a robust job market and such opportunity. And part of that is building those relationships early on and making sure our students have those guaranteed experiences with our business partners. So you'll see our students actually doing job shadowing. You'll see our students actually doing site visits, although a lot of it's virtual right, right. now. Sure. We're doing it. Yeah, I think that's part of what you mentioned, Bob, is the work-based uh, learning experiences is all pretty much virtual done now, but that's with some of these sponsors or partners you've talked yeah. about, correct? Yeah, you know, one of the cool things that has come, and we always have to look for silver linings in this pandemic, and one of the big silver linings has been, I think we're gonna have a better chance to scale this up. Now that we've learned to do some things remotely, the physical act of every time you do a site visit or a job shadowing experience that you have to physically go to that company, yeah. We'll still do some of that, but what we've already started to do with the partnership of Alignment Rockford and a lot of our local businesses is they've shot videos that allow students to virtually visit their business. Now that business doesn't have their whole day disrupted by that. The students can watch it right in the comfort of their classroom, but yet they can still have that deep experience and, and a very Rockford-specific experience, which we think is powerful. You know, I think when you mentioned silver linings, that is very true. All of us are finding different ways to do things, and some are much more convenient. I mean, yes. we've noted at the various board meetings that I attend, or even my own board meeting, mm -hmm. our attendance is, is way up. Right. Because people do have conflicts with their schedule, and do have right. things going on, but if they can plug in mm -hmm. and unplug, and I think our engagement level is great, and I, you know, with what you've talked about with work-based learning being you know, partially virtual, at least totally virtual now, is you, know, you can also insert that more when you want to, as absolutely. opposed to trying to find ways to coordinate people's schedules and get it together. So yeah, Absolutely. You know, one of the things, that, just a simple example, uh, take someone who wants to go speak to a, a group of sophomores at one of our high schools. In the old way of doing it, we would have expected that person to drive 15 minutes across town, uh, check in at the front desk, spend another five or 10 minutes finding the classroom, speaking to that classroom for 45 minutes or, or 50 minutes, taking questions, talking about it. Would have been a wonderful experience, but by the time that, that, that person who is very well-intentioned has done all of that work, that's a good two hours out of a, out of a work yeah. day. And what we think we can do now is cut that more than half. Um, if I can sit at my desk during my lunch hour or during a break in my day, I can take a 45 minute block of time and virtually connect with that same classroom of students, not have the commute time, not have any of those hassles. Now there's still value for that in person, just like there's still value for in-person education. But this is the kind of thing that right. I think is gonna make it more possible for, we're talking about 2,000 students per grade that we want to get these guaranteed experiences with our business partners. I think this makes it more realistic that we can have those guaranteed experiences. This technological innovation may really help us. You know, pre-pandemic, I remember I spoke to one of the academy classes at East, and uh, it was a wonderful experience, first of all. But also, you're right, there's a time frame to come in, get, know where you're going, get through the check-in process, get you know, delivered to the classroom, wait for the students to arrive, and then get oriented, and then get started with the discussion. And the part I love about the in-person one is there's a lot of shy people as well, and they want to come talk to you afterwards, not in front right. of their classmates. Right. So some of that may get lost, but still, to be able to add more portability and to be able to probably recycle some of those things for when That's students right. miss an opportunity. That's right. And there is a silver lining there for 
doing Absolutely. that. Absolutely, we can record it, we can archive it, and there will always be a need for people to come in and men the mentoring that can come in from that in-person visit, there's always gonna be value in that. But I think the scale and the possibilities that provides will be a nice partnership with what we've already done well with those in-person visits. Well, and you mentioned um, the business community, which I'm glad you did, uh, because going back to that survey, one of the things we asked at that time was would you, um, how would you like to be engaged with the public schools or do you have an interest in, in being engaged? And the, the response was overwhelming. So the example we had back then, now granted it's a few years back, uh, was that people um, just need to be told where they can provide support and That's then right. they would jump in. So, and I think you're seeing that through, you know, the various efforts that you've done yourself as well as with Alignment Rockford and other organizations. So that's outstanding. Thank you. So you, you, you touched on briefly Rockford Promise, and I think we want to spend some time talking about that further. Um, I had the chance to be in the press announcement with you on that, and I was invited to be there. And uh, again, silver linings and all, this, all these things we've been talking about is to have something like this be there. And I think we all use the word game changer at some point in time in our, our remarks. And I, I really um, am so proud of all the partners involved and so proud of the effort to, to deliver that. And I know that there's other efforts with Rockford Promise with the other, um, with Rockford University and Rock Valley College. We don't want to forget about them as well. Absolutely. And we're, we know that as we get further down the line, I think they all will find a way to come on board at a, at a level that uh, is great for the community. Um, but I do want to, ma I'll make this comment first, then I'll have you comment. But, you know, one of the things I was privy to during the last year is watching how hard people work to see how they could make this thing work. And for anybody who was not close to that, didn't realize the kind of math and forecasting and analysis that has to be done. And all the partners wanted to make sure we have to be able to do this over the long haul. If we can't, we've got to fix it. And so before this was even rolled out, I think everybody involved was very diligently going through their processes to make sure that we could deliver something of a high level and quality for the, the students in, in Rockford Public Schools. Absolutely. You know, Einer, this was a 13-year overnight success. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I can think very vividly back to about nine or ten years ago when Jan Jones, who uh, has recently uh, passed away, was a great, great force for change in the community. Jan just focused on let's get one scholarship. And Matt Vosberg and Susan Fumo for my team were part of that work right from the beginning and said, why, why can't we be like Kalamazoo, Michigan? You know, And we dreamed some really big dreams and Rockford University, Rock Valley, the Rockford Promise came along and we went from that one scholarship a year and made a big deal out of that to over a million dollars that have been raised over the last eight years or so. And we were getting close to 30 scholarships that were going to Rock Valley and Rockford University. And we're gonna grow that too. But what we did is we took a big step. We were a really great scholarship program that really made an annual difference in the lives of our students, but now we've become a promise. And Mayor McNamara and the city council took a huge step by doing that. By guaranteeing that any student with a 3.0 grade point average can go to Northern Illinois University that lives in the city of Rockford for the next 17 years, that is a huge step because now the true power of the promise kicks in. Promises do two big things for any community that can get to this level, and we're in very rarefied air thanks to the city's investment and Northern Illinois University's investment as well. Number one, you now know that if you buy a home in Rockford, Illinois, and attend the public schools, that you can have that guarantee with a 3.0 grade point. That's gonna drive home values up. It absolutely will. You also can now use that as a business partner to recruit. When you're talking about someone considering coming to your business or if you're having a hard time 
getting them to be excited about Rockford, this is going to matter. I really believe that. But in my opinion, the even more important issue is how this can transform the expectations of the students in our public school system. We have about 470 students that have a 3.0 grade point average and can qualify for that. I think it's going to be a powerful metric, and I plan to be in front of city council on an annual basis to say, what progress are we making to grow that number? We want to really stretch uh, and, and, and make more students eligible for this. Um, and I think that change in mindset about how we support our students is going to be a really, really powerful component. And you know, we do want to grow this to, to include Rockford University and Rock Valley. And I know there's been commitments made to continue to look for opportunities for other citizens of Rockford that aren't in the public schools. And I know those conversations will be ongoing as well. And we want to acknowledge that. But what was so powerful is we didn't compromise. What we didn't want to do is create a bigger scholarship program. We wanted to create a promise. And we created a promise. And now there's room to grow with other institutions, there's room to grow it. But right now there is a clear promise to families and I think that is a huge, huge step for our community. Kudos to the mayor. Yeah, I, I personally believe that this will pick up steam and that it, it will grow. And I think, you know, the community with, with the students, I agree with you, the GPAs, we should see some increases there. The chamber's been, had a high priority on increasing graduation rates and in, increasing educational attainment rates our community because those all have economic impact but I think also the commitment that the employer sees being made to the 29,000 students in the district is is just as important and when uh, people are recruiting people to come here and they're researching their communities about where to live this is something unique that is uh, something that everybody would take seriously as an option when considering their choices. I think there's a real possibility we will see school enrollment growth, that we will see population growth, so that this will benefit our whole community, not just our school system. I think we will, I hope, see stronger rates of business attraction and retention. And I ultimately want to see us move educational attainment levels so that we have a higher percentage of students that have community college degrees, job certifications that are post-secondary, and ultimately bachelor's degrees. And I think right. we can improve all of those metrics with this work, as well as the number of K-12 students that can qualify with that 3.0 GPA. Yeah, and I, I think for um, it's going to take a little while for people to understand how this all comes together, but the key is that 3.0 GPA and being a resident of the city of Rockford to, mm -hmm. to trigger that, that whole opportunity. But again, uh, just uh, uh, kudos to everybody involved, NIU, you guys, RPS 205, the city of Rockford, and of course, Rockford Promise. I mean, they've, they've carried this on their sleeve for quite some time, and uh, this is quite a, a wonderful achievement. I know in their minds, this is only the beginning. So. Yeah, I mean, and Rockford, Rockford Promise has raised over a million dollars. The city of Rockford is contributing a million five, and NIU is our first more than a million dollar a year donor. I think, I have no doubt that with the commitment they will make for families making more than $75,000. There's a Husky pledge that's available to everybody in the state of Illinois for families that get a 3.0, students that get a 3.0 and make less than 75,000. But what I really wanna highlight about NIU is for this particular partnership, which is exclusive right now to the city of Rockford and the Rockford Public Schools, they are only charging the promise $6,000 a year and their tuition is normally much closer in fees to 14,000. Okay. Well, so when you start talking about um, perhaps as many as 50% of our students having above that $75,000 income level or whatever the number that ends up being, NIU's got some serious skin in the game here as well too. So what a partnership, really excited about it. Wonderful, I, I, congratulations to everybody again. That's, I think it's just a great, great story. Um,
I'm going to dive into the weeds a little bit here. We're going to talk about the, the facilities master plan. Um, and the reason I'm bringing that up, obviously, is the chamber was, was very supportive of, yes. of that. And uh, I think the original ask was for $250 million, and uh, we were behind that 100%. We saw the investment in the schools being of critical importance, and I just want to get a little bit of an update from you on that, and as well as what, what's left on the table that we still have to complete. Absolutely, Einer. You know, we were so appreciative for the Chamber, the Realtors Association, and the community as a whole passed that referendum almost two to one. I think we had about 65% of the vote. And what we've been able to do with a $139 million referendum combined with some other funding sources, altogether we put together a 10-year, $279 million plan, and it's almost done. And the footprint of the Rockford Public Schools looks very, very different. We still have a lot of work to do because right. we had really underinvested in facilities. But what was exciting about that investment is we had 49 schools and we were able to demolish eight schools that didn't add to blight and shrunk our footprint and actually uh, allowed us to be more efficient and provide some deeper services to our students and took some, eight of our schools that had the, probably needed the most maintenance off the offline and allowed us to better invest in the, the remaining 41. We created four full early childhood centers and invested in those. We built two new elementary schools and all of the remaining 39 schools got a significant investment. 21 of them got an addition of some kind or and all of them got significant remodeling. And uh, we're just so proud that we were able to do what we said we were going to do. We didn't rate, we not only, we, we did, we had $279 million investment and we not only didn't raise taxes, we've lowered the tax rate uh, by almost $1.50 during this time. So we hope that when we come back to the taxpayers and say we need to make further investment with our facilities, they'll see that we did what we, say, we said we were going to do, and they'll see that we did it in a fiscally responsible way. And there will be a need for a constant investment in facilities. We don't ever want to get in a situation where we were as far behind as we were 10 years ago. Sure. But I think people will be able to drive by our schools, visit our schools, and see that the money uh, was put to good use and that uh, while we still have some improvements that are needed, we're really proud of what we've been able to accomplish in the first nine years of the plan. Yeah, and I think on the slide, there's like four or five items that are left to be done. They weren't, mm -hmm. weren't major items, but yeah. there were some HVAC and... We've still got some furniture to buy. We've okay. still got some interior finish work to do inside the schools. And there's a, a, a you know about 10 or 11 schools that still need some touch-ups, but about 95% of the work is completed. And okay. I think we're gonna end up coming in uh, where we did what we said we were gonna do and use those funds wisely and are gonna be excited to start the planning process with the community. We would have a much more modest next facility plan, but we think we always need to be in the mode of having multi-year budgets when it comes to facilities. Facilities planning is at its worst when it's reactive and year to year. And one of the things we are really proud of is I think this has started to set a tone of generational investment in our facilities as opposed to year to year investment. And I think, um, I'm assuming I should say from a pandemic experience point of view, that also alters some thinking about the future of schools and how we yeah. deliver learning opportunities to the students. Can't wait to have that conversation moving forward, Einer, because I think we're going to see, um, I don't think remote learning is going to just completely go away. I think there are going to be some students that have found that, 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 I don't think it'll be the vast majority of students, but there will be some students that have really benefited from this type of a learning style. I think it's going to give us lots of creative ways we can think about our facilities moving forward. And I'm really excited to see where that conversation goes. I think it's too early to know, but I think we do know that having a one-to-one -one computer in, uh, initiative is not going to be something that's nice to do. It's going to be something that has become 
kind of a baseline experience. I think in, increasingly having a Chromebook is going to be like having a pencil. Uh, it used yeah. to be 20 years ago. I mean, I think students are going to come to expect that. And so I think we're going to see significant positive change, not only in our facilities, but in the way we connect with our students because of this pandemic. Um, I'm certainly not celebrating the pandemic, but we are finding some positives and some things we've really been able to learn as a result of it. So kind of going from that um, to the final slide we have is on disruptive innovation. Can yeah. you talk a little bit about what that means to you? Absolutely. You know, this is one of my favorite business concepts. Uh, uh, and for people who know me, they know I'm kind of a business literature nerd. And, uh, and one of my favorite authors is a guy that recently passed away named Clayton Christensen. And he popularized a term called disruptive innovation. And what disruptive innovation really means is there are lots of big industries, and public education is certainly one of them, that are so big and are so established that they have almost monopolistic tendencies. And they, kind of be really, they tend to be very set in their ways. And what disruptive innovation in business means, and it certainly is, applies to public education, is it allows um, something smaller and nimbler to come in and improve it underneath these big kind of monolithic entities. What the, this pandemic has done is it's given us an opportunity to disrupt something that is really difficult to change. I mean, public education is like the gigantic aircraft carrier that uh, kind of plods along and is pretty hard to turn. And what this has done is we've seen things like, here we are in 2020, and I really think we are going to be able to, as a result of this, not have snow days anymore. I, one of the great wow. joys of the superintendency is uh, becoming a part-time weather forecaster during the winter months. And one of the things I think is going to be a really positive outcome of this, uh, you know, our e-learning plan is going to be coming before the board, is I really think we are now going to be able to be equipped to, instead of losing that day of instruction on a cold 25 below January day, um, we'll be able to say we're having a remote learning day today and the teachers and the students over time will be able to adapt to that. We won't be great at it at first because of the quick transition times, but I think that's going to become normative because those days you'll lose in January, are, yeah. it's never as good in June when you make it up on the back end. <laughs> so that's one of the examples of, you know, would we have figured that out as quickly? Probably not. So I think this pandemic allows us to really think differently about public education. I think we're going to think differently about our summer education programs and our extended school day partnerships as well. We always have known students have had some significant educational gaps, but we know this pandemic puts a real spotlight on that. So I think you're going to see an intensity to our summer programming this summer that goes above and beyond what we've done in the past. And then finally, I mentioned earlier, these, these academy pathway partnerships. Why would we go back to all in person? Let's have a nice blend between in-person experiences with students as well as remote. And I think we're going to scale that up much, much better. So those are just three things off the top of my head that I think are going to allow us to really disrupt and improve public education as we come out of this pandemic. You know, I think the Academy Partnerships is a great example of something that you can build a portfolio from and not rely solely on the strength and personality of the individual who's the presenter in person. So right. you can actually have that and, and it can stay time relevant for at least a couple of years Absolutely. and still be used. So I think that's amazing. And I, I love these conversations because you got me thinking about stuff I haven't had to think about in a while. And snow days is something I have not had to think about at all. And so do you think in this school year that is that potential? Is that for those that are taking in-class you know, learning right now would, would switch over to remote at times when they can't work? That's school? our goal, Einer. I think, I, I mean, we've got a little bit of work to do. And uh, sure. you know, let's hope we don't have a real early snow day this year. But yeah. we're going to be working on that. Yeah, I think, I think there's a real possibility, assuming that everything gets passed with our e-learning plan, uh, that our intention will be, hey, it's looking a little bit cold. Uh, you know, for our high school and middle school students, it'll be easy because they've got their Chromebooks with them all the time. Yeah. But for our younger elementary and early childhood students, the, the one barrier will be the logistics of that young student 
bringing it home because it's a cold Tuesday night, bringing it, and then making sure they bring it back for the next, yep. the, the next in-person learning day, making sure it doesn't get left at home, making sure it's charged. So we've got some logistics to work out, but we think it's likely that we're going to start to make the snow day a thing of the past. Well, I if I remember right, I think the, farmer, the Farmer's Almanac is predicting a lighter winter, so I'm going to just like, knock that right now. <laughs> well, I, I would appreciate that. I think we could use a break on, uh, with, some good, with, with some mild winter weather for yeah. sure, and that's probably one of my least favorite parts of the job is uh, uh, having thousands of people give me weather advice on those really cold or those potentially snowy days. I bet. Well, we've, we've reached the near end of our program, I think it's just time to do our wrap up and, and I want to you know, put the question to you again is, you know, any final thoughts you want to share with the business community or the community as a whole? Well, I think what I want to say on the behalf of the Board of Education and my, my, my cabinet and the entire district, this is a very lonely, challenging time when we're going through, a, we can feel very isolated, our students can feel very isolated, but I have to tell you, I am proud to live in this community because I have never felt isolated. Whether it's been help with distributing meals, whether it's been people offering to help remote learners uh, by trying to build community partnerships and learning pods for families that didn't feel safe coming back for blended or in-person instruction, whether it's been teachers going above and beyond to learn new skills that frankly, uh, maybe they weren't quite ex that excited to learn. Um, you know, we've just seen such an all-in effort uh, that I'm really, really proud to be a, a, a part of this, this school district and a part of our community. So I'm thankful for that. You know, just to add to that, we've, we've been doing a survey of our members over the past three or four weeks just on the chamber and what we can do for them as well as what they've done during the pandemic and how they forecast the strength of their future. And I have to tell you, the, the data and the, is very, very encouraging. I expected things to be a little more doom and gloom, and it's really not. It's okay. really at a pretty high level, so okay. very impressed. And I, it reminds me of businesses big and small and how innovative and creative they are, and I think the same with educational systems Absolutely. is, you know, yes, you've got an issue. It's not going away. We have to address it to move forward. And Absolutely. I, I think uh, I commend you and, and your board and, and all of the members of the faculty and everybody for all that you do. Well, these are tough times, I, and we can either kind of feel bad about it and feel sorry for ourselves, or we can do things like the city of Rockford and the mayor just did with passing this Rockford promise. That's investing into a pandemic. And, I'm, and I really hope that as much as is possible, our business community feels that way as well, that they're making investments in our community. And I know our school system is gonna to continue to do everything we can to, to grow as a result of these challenging times. I think if we do that, we can emerge as a community by making progress towards being that top 25 vision that Transform Rockford has so eloquently laid out, right. I think there's no reason why we have to take a pause in that work right now. I just think we have to use, uh, work through this together and use some of the lessons that we learned to come out stronger. Dr. Jarrett, thank you for being here today and committing your time to us. Einer, thanks so much for having me. It's always a pleasure and I really enjoyed the format. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to the 205 Vibe podcast. Subscribe to the 205 Vibe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you are listening now. Check out the blog, videos, and news on rps205.com slash 205 vibe.